Good morning, Grove Church. My name is Michael Campbell. I'm one of the elders here. This morning we're going to continue our study of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in uh, chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. Now just to give a little bit of background uh, of where we are in this study, so Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, correcting a few things, uh, some of what's happened you know, Matt's talked about this the last few messages of these factions being formed within the church. Um, they were being divided, basically saying, you know, hey, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos. And they were starting to basically form little groups where, you know, they would judge other people and say, well, you know, my teacher's better than your teacher, more effective, etc. Um, and to some degree, sort of cults of personality were starting to form up around them, right? And that was causing a lot of division. And, you know, if you think about what Paul talks about a lot in the New Testament is about unity, this tribalism that was getting in there was causing a lot of division, so going against the unity. And so those are some of the things that he's addressing here. And if we go back to... Let's see. So let's back up just a little bit before we read the passage, which we'll read chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. But in 3, and this is something Matt covered last week, in 21, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. If you look at 21 there, Paul's saying, okay, don't, don't boast in men. Don't, don't boast about your leader or, or your teacher, who you think is, is better, right? And then let's get into the actual passage. So he goes on in chapter 4, 1 through 5. This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required, that steward, required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from god so what we see here is paul starting to say okay here's how you should not regard these teachers these human leaders here's how you should Right, so he starts getting into there. If we look at the first verse, he says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, this is a really interesting word he uses here for servants. Now, in other parts of the New Testament, Paul talks about you know, as being bond servants or slaves or, or different types of, of, of servants, right? You know, we have... A Greek word where we get the word deacon from, which means servant. 
Um, this is an interesting one. Has anybody seen the movie Ben-Hur? Okay, several of you have. Uh, if you've seen the, the original, original one from back in the 60s, I really love that one. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, that, that's the good one. They made a remake of it. It wasn't really the same. But in that movie, um, there, there's a scene where Charlton Heston, who is, is you know, Judah Ben-Hur, and he ends up uh, being a, a slave. Now, back during that time in the ancient world, they had what were called triremes. And these were warships that had rowers and they had a little bit of a sail. But, you know, they would go into battle. These were, you know, created by the Greeks, really, and perfected by them. But the Romans used them as well. And the point was that these ships, they started out about 74 feet, and by the end of their era, they'd gotten up to about 200 feet long, so really, really massive things. And the way they waged war was on the prow, they would have a ram that was capped with, uh, with copper, and they would ram into the other ship to sink it. Now, obviously, to break through the side of a ship, you need a lot of force going through the water to get there, right? So they had these rowers in the bottom, and these were slaves. And this is the reference to the Ben-Hur movie, right, where there, there's these rows and rows of rowers um, at their oar to make the ship go really fast. And they're, they're chained in there so they, they can't escape or anything. And they would row the ship as fast as they possibly could, you know, based on the orders that they get. The word being used here, huperades in Greek, actually can refer to that. Refer to what were called the under rowers. These were the rowers in the bottom of the ship. And if you could imagine, this, this was a very lowly existence, a very hard life. right? They were, they were shackled into these ships. They would go to war. They would, um, when they would ram into another ship, there's a big hole in it, and water starts gushing in, the ship sinks. You can imagine nobody's going to take time to unshackle any of these slaves. They would go down with the ship. They were, they were basically expendable. They weren't really worth much. They were the motors of these ships, right? Not, not a very glorious life or existence, a very hard one at that. And that's the word, huperades, that Paul is using here. So when he says that we are servants of Christ, that, that word servants there is huperades, meaning we are slaves. We, I'm just told what I do. Right? The Lord commands me what I should be doing here. Now, obviously, that's in reference to teaching the doctrine, right? And so, you know, you had those slaves at, at the lower end of society, and that's what he's talking about there. And there was a spectrum. There were these slaves who were dispensable, basically property that you could just throw away. Nobody really cared. And on the other end of the spectrum, you had slaves who were, let's say, they were in Caesar's household. Right, so they were serving the household of the emperor. And they may be put in charge of the emperor's children, maybe in charge of his food, you know, providing food for the banquets and things like that. And these stewards, these people who are put over things in the household of Caesar in the master's house, right, and it could be over his possessions, over the people of the house, right? That was a very exalted position. Um, it was one of responsibility, a lot of responsibility when you think about it. Um, you think about he was required to 
be a good steward, to be trustworthy of what was entrusted to him by the emperor. And we actually have historical evidence where there were wealthy free Romans who would curry favor with the stewards in Caesar's household. Uh, sometimes one of the records actually is um, if, you're, if you're a farmer, you've got this massive farm out there and you've got lots of crops and you want to sell them at a really high price, obviously Caesar's not hurting for cash. So if you curry favor with one of his stewards and say, hey, buy all the stuff from me. Right, you, you can start to get um, very even more wealthy. But that's what these stewards were. They were charged with being responsible for the running of and the seeing to of, of Caesar's household. And that is similar to what, you know, those responsibilities, that's similar to what Paul's talking about here of being stewards of the mysteries, right? That, that God, the master, the Lord, has entrusted Paul with the doctrines, with the mysteries of, of the word, of, of being a, a faithful, and we'll get to faithful later, but of, of being a teacher, right? Someone who's been entrusted with something. So when he talks here about being servants of Christ and stewards of the word, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a servant, I'm a slave, I'm, I'm told what to do. And what I've been told to do is to take the word, take the mysteries, and be faithful to them. Now, what are the mysteries, right? So if they have to be faithful to the mysteries, the mysteries are not what we typically think of today. Uh, the Greek word mysterion, where we get our word mystery from, basically means something that is hidden, right? Something that's been revealed. And it's not like the way we think about mystery today. It's something we need to figure out and, and, and try to you know, think through, although sometimes people do that, and that can lead to bad things, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but what mystery means here is something that has not yet been revealed. Right? So essentially, it's things like the New Testament, um, Jesus Christ and his gospel. Those were the mysteries that have been revealed to the people of, of Israel. Because if you think about folks in Israel who were under the Old Testament and the law, they were following the sacrificial system, the Mosaic law, all these things, um, having faith in a Messiah to come that would save them. Well, what Paul's talking about here is that the mystery of Christ and his gospel being revealed is that we now have salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. The Gentile nations are grafted in uh, to this salvation as well. So those are some of the mysteries that he's talking about there. So he's saying that message, that mystery, is what he's a steward of, right? He is, he is to be taking that message and guarding it and actually using it for the master's benefit. But if we think about right at the start, he says, this is how one should regard us, Right? Um, I think Paul wants to be very clear here. You know, he talked about don't, don't glory, don't put glory in human leaders. Right? And he said, this is how you should regard us. Because people were being regarded incorrectly. They were being raised up and glorified um, by being put on a pedestal. Right? And if we think about what Paul is saying of him being a slave and him being a steward, 
It's sinful to give a man, a slave, glory for something that the master, God, has entrusted to him with. Right? The glory should go to God for that, not to the slave or the steward who has been entrusted to dispense those works, those mysteries. I mean, put a different way, it's sinful to ascribe to a slave glory that's due to the master. And that's what Paul wants to be very clear on here. It's like, God should be getting the glory for this, not we who are the slaves and the stewards of his message. If you would, uh, we're going to hit a couple of other passages in here as we're going through this. If you would, turn with me to 1 Peter 4.10. We'll read a little bit of the context around it, so we'll drop back to 7. And in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, therefore serves. I should have stopped at the end there. But So we look at this passage, and the reason why I wanted to go over to that one is, you know, what Paul's talking about with the Corinthian church is Cephas, Apollos, himself, and others who just say, well, I just follow Christ. I don't need anybody to explain the word to me, right? This applies to us as well as just not ministers of the word, but as members of the body of Christ, right? As we see here, so when, when we're talking through this, yes, Paul is talking about the the ministers and the the stewards of the word, but there's also something in here for all of us who are servants of Christ. Because we've all been given gifts by God to use, right? And that's what he's saying in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So again, we're all stewards just of different things, of some of the, the gifts that have been given to us. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. I just want to read a quote from him. These are two parts of the steward's business, to protect the master's property and to dispense it. Right, so that's what Paul's talking about here is he's to protect the mystery that has been given to him, but also to dispense it. So it, it, it's true, it's just, it's, it's unaltered. Spurgeon goes on. Besides this, he has to use the master's property for his master's benefit, right? Use it to bring glory to God. The goods entrusted to him are to be put out on interest or used in business to bring in profit for his master. I trust that there are many of us here present who are using the gospel for the glory of Christ. What little we know, we try to tell out that sinners may be converted, and that the Savior may be glorified. It is, a wonderful thing to us to, yeah, it is a wonderful thing for us to have a Bible, is it not? 
But oh, to use the Bible every day to bring glory to God. So what Spurgeon's talking about there in the context of you know, being a steward, being entrusted with the property and to dispense it out, we've all been given God's word. And we're all to protect it and to give it to people. Even like he says here, what little we know. So even if we know a little or we know a lot, um, we are to be good stewards of that and we are to dispense it to those around us. Going back to our main passage, though, Paul continues, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, here he's talking about it's required to be faithful. Period. Right? There, there's no other list of what the requirements are of the steward. They're to be faithful. It's not, he's not saying they're to be eloquent, that they're to be charismatic, that they're to be uh, persuasive. They're just found to be faithful. Faithful to the mysteries they've been given. He's not saying that they need to be successful, right? Successful by the world standards. Um, one example I'll use of that is, if you think about last year when we were doing the, the outreach, right? The community outreach. What was one of the things that Matt said as we went out there into the neighborhood about how we measure things? Remember that? He said our success is not measured by how many people, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, how many people respond. It's us being faithful and being out there in the community. It's not measuring our faithfulness by human standards. Because folks could easily fall into, hey, we went out and did neighborhood outreach, and you know, a dozen families came and visited with us, and uh, you know, that, that was a number we could we could we could measure. No, the, the measure of success is being faithful. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here when he says, moreover, it's required of stewards that they just be found faithful. None of those other human standards. And we can look at that today where a lot of times the success of a ministry or of a minister is measured by how large is the church. How many members are on, on roster? How many baptisms did you do last year? Um, I was listening to, preparing for this, I was listening to some message from uh, John MacArthur, and he was talking about a Christian magazine, and he didn't reference which one it was, but talking about how they had basically awards and recognitions for these ministers because, hey, if you did over 300 baptisms last year, you know, you got a big picture in the magazine. If it was 100 to 200, you got a littler picture. And, you know, if you only had a handful, you would maybe just mention by name, right? And what's the problem with that? That starts to put the, the measure of success on numbers, not on being faithful servants and stewards of the word. And we easily fall into this as people, right? We want to be able to measure things. But what it can also do is start putting the the glory on the man doing the ministering, not on God. 
Now, one of the things we also notice here is that moreover, it's required of stewards to be found faithful. So not eloquent, not successful by, by human measures, um, not abusive in their position, right, lording it over different people. That leads to a lot of bad things. And not pleasing men, right? He doesn't say, you know, use the word to, to please people or to, well, when I say please people, I mean oneself or those around, right? Um, when a minister will use the word to suit his own ends, bad things tend to happen, right? Because we start getting distracted from the word of God, what we've been entrusted with, um, teaching the word, and it starts to become onto some of those other things like the, the human measures of success. We can start to further our own agendas rather than being faithful. There can be a slow, gradual turn to there's measure of success that I need to meet, so you know maybe there's something else in ministry I need to do. Start adding on things rather than being faithful to the word. If you would, let's go to another passage that ties into this and kind of summarizes it. Um, 1 Timothy 1 through 5. And if you remember back when we were going through Timothy a couple of months ago, the situation that was occurring here were, you know, again, people being, you know, in, in factions, but also being divisive through um, arguing over things that, that didn't matter, like genealogies or um, possibly some Gnosticism. Um, some some very bad doctrine, right? That that started to um, to poison the church. So in First Timothy, we'll, I'll start in three, and this is warning against false teachers, right? Because if if a minister, if a steward is not faithful with and to the word to the mystery given to them, we start getting false doctrine, and this was a warning that Paul gave Timothy as as he sent him. So we'll start in three. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Right? He was, don't teach any new doctrine. Be faithful to the doctrine given. Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Right? So... Be good stewards of the word, the mystery is revealed to you. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So there's the danger of not being a faithful steward of the word. Right? There's, there's a very clear illustration of what can happen. Teaching false doctrines, leading folks astray. We don't have to look terribly far today to see this in some of the, the churches where maybe doctrine, correct doctrine is not popular. It's hard to hear the numbers may start to dwindle 
if people hear hard messages that they don't like. So, well, I want to keep the congregation happy. I want to keep the numbers where they are, so let me not wade into that difficult discussion. Um, like talking about sin, right? There's, in, in our day and age, folks don't like to hear about sin. But it's the nature that we have. So sometimes to meet those measures of success, we can decide not to be faithful and give a message that is, you know, the honey potion in the ear, so to speak. Things that people want to hear, good pat on the back, hey, you're doing a great job. Um, you know, it, it's, you're a good person, those kinds of things. But that's not what we're to do because these things can happen if we're not faithful uh, to the word. I got another quote from Spurgeon, which uh, summarizes it much better than I can. It is an ill day for us when we begin to think that our thoughts are to be given out in the house instead of the master's thoughts. It is not for us to deliver our own speculations, but go straight away to the word. And by the teaching of the indwelling spirit, to come forth to the people with what we received not what we invented. It is God's word that saves, not our comment on it. So what Spurgeon's saying there is, be faithful to the word. The, and this is something I know Matt praised this before getting up here as I do, that I won't get in the way, that the spirit will use us to teach the word that needs to be heard. And, and to be faithful to it and to not go off into speculation. And anytime we do, I think we're very clear about, hey, I'm speculating on this or I think this or this is how I view something. Um, I, I think we try to do a very good job about being clear when it's speculation versus this is what the Word of God says. And there is no speculation on that. There's no arguing it. This is what the Scripture says. And I love the way Spurgeon puts that. It's an ill day when we get up and decide that, well, you know, I'm going to share my opinion or my social agenda or my political views, I mean, you hear all kinds of things up in pulpits these days. And people use them, at, use this as a platform for what they think, what they want to say, rather than, like he says, go to the Word of God, preach that. Let the Spirit send the message. And it will be the right message that people need to hear. But too often as stewards, we want to, uh, you know, um, basically appease people, don't want to offend them. And we see this a lot in, in our society uh, in this day and age, and we've seen it in other ages. Um, but the focus becomes on the human, on the people sending the message rather than on who the message is about. And you don't need to turn there, but um, I'll, I'll just reference this one real quick. Paul talks about this a little bit in 2 Corinthians 2.17. So if you're taking notes, you can just make a note of that one. And what Paul says is, For we are not like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of, men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And I thought that was really interesting there um, where he's talking about we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Now, peddler is not a word that we use a lot nowadays, but 
That's essentially if you're peddling something, think about somebody who's at a, a marketplace or a, uh, a flea market. They're, they're peddling their wares. They're trying to sell something, trying to make something look good um, to get people to buy it, right? And it's interesting way he says that, that we're not like so many peddlers of God, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. Again, going back to that thing about being um, stewards of God's word and being faithful to it and not getting out there and trying to peddle something that sells. We see a lot of that today, right? We have versions of the Bible who don't talk about sin because, well, that offends people, so they want to feel good about themselves, so they'll buy something that just basically, you know, pat yourself on the back. Um, and that's not being faithful, right? So we need to be faithful to what we've been given. And I've talked a little bit about the human judgment side of it, but Paul goes on to talk about that, right, in, in 3 and 4. And he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not therefore acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, this isn't Paul saying, you know, well, I don't care what people think about me. You know, that, that sort of an attitude. Um, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ in this world, right? So what people think of us is important, right? We, we want to represent Christ well. Um, there are times where Paul talks about, you know, um, not eating certain things or drinking certain things to be stumbling blocks to people, right? So so it is it is important. But... What he's saying here is, and he's not saying he doesn't care what people think. He, he actually is saying that, but what he's saying is, I'm not going to let what people think alter me being faithful to the word. Right? He's, what he's saying here is, if people want to think less of me or different of me because I am just being faithful to God's word and I am delivering it the way that I deliver it simply, then that's on them but I'm going to continue to be faithful in giving the word. He says, you know, we're not to judge others, and we're in no position to judge ourselves. Right? And he, and he says that basically in verse 3, which I think is interesting how he says, I do not even judge myself. Um, it, are you all familiar with the term illusory superiority? Anybody? course Gina is. So uh, illusory superiority is this tendency for us to think higher of ourselves, to think better of ourselves, that we're, we're better at things. You know, it, it's, it's just a natural human tendency. Um, we overestimate ourselves. And what Paul's talking about here, where he says, I don't even judge myself, is Paul recognizes he's a sinful man with a sinful nature, and he is going to think, oh, well, I'm doing a good job. But he knows that he's the wrong person to try to judge himself, right? Because he's going to miss things and thinks he's doing better than he is. And, you know, as, as people, we tend to want to, to judge. You know, well, that person's a better speaker, that person is more charismatic, or they're just very 
um, approachable, whatever it may be. And what Paul's saying here is that, one, we shouldn't do that, and we shouldn't do that on our own either, right? Where we start getting into comparisons. Hey, I do better than this, than this other person. And that's that, um, again, judging by appearances, right? This, this person has a larger congregation or, or a, a larger following or did more baptisms, so they must be more effective um, in delivering God's word. I'm not saying they're being true to it, right? It's, it's what are they doing with it? And, you know, there's an alert to that. We, we naturally want to please people. You know, we, we naturally want to be able to say, I am better at something than somebody else. Um, you know, there's some pride that gets into there. And we're not to do that. You know, we're to leave the judging of the hearts to God because, you know, as, as Scripture tells us, only God knows the heart. We don't. So we're not to judge each other. We're not to judge ourselves in the delivering of God's word, right? We're to leave God to do that, to be, and we'll get to that in a moment as well, to be the, the final judge of how well we're doing, how faithful we are being to the message, to the doctrine, to the mystery that has been entrusted to us. And we're not to judge others by those appearances to say, well, that person must be really true to the doctrine, true to the word, because they have a larger congregation, or they did these um, more baptisms, right? We're not to do those things. Now, sometimes folks will take that, though, and again, not being true to doctrine, they'll say, well, you just shouldn't judge people, right? And that's definitely not the case, because just because there's a large congregation or a lot of baptisms does not mean that true, sound doctrine is being taught, And if you would, turn with me to Matthew 7, 1 through 5. So we're not to judge ourselves on how well we handle the doctrine because we think we do better than we actually do. We're not to judge others by the numbers that they have, saying, okay, well, they're, they're being more faithful, they're being more effective. However, we are to call error, error, and sin, sin. So in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, this is, um, I just want to use this illustration to kind of drive home that point, right? And this is uh, about judging others. Judge not that you not be judged. And we stop right there. Right, a lot of the times you hear that. Well, you know, the Bible says not to judge other people. You know, judge not or you'll be judged. That's what Jesus says, right? So we shouldn't judge anyone. And that's part of the not being faithful to the doctrine and taking things out of context because we need to go on and we need to look at the context. And that's why each of these passages, there's a certain one I want to hone in on, but I also want to read around it to make sure we give it context, right? So let's start over again. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, 
first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right, so what he's saying there, what Jesus is saying is not don't judge, right? If you see something that is in error or bad doctrine, first make sure that you're being faithful to the doctrine, to the word of God, and then correct that person in the correct doctrine, not in another false doctrine, right? So that's when we talk about the human judgment, don't judge by the appearances, we can't judge by the heart because we can't see people's heart. Only God can, right? But don't say, well, I'm not going to judge that person because they, they have a really large congregation. They're doing all these baptisms. Their doctrine's a little iffy, but yeah, they're, they're doing good. They're doing really well. That's, that's definitely not what we're supposed to do, right? We are supposed to, if it's error, we call it error, help to correct. If there's sin, we call it sin, and we correct. So when we talk about human judgment, just make sure you're not reading those things into what Paul's saying here. Because, you know, as he says there at the end, you know, um, for I am not aware of anything against myself. Again, that illusory superiority, but I'm not thereby acquitted because he knows he's a sinful man with a sinful nature. It is the Lord who judges me. So again, he's looking to the Lord to be his judge of how faithful he is with the doctrine given to him. Now, if we go on to the last verse, and we have, you know, God is a judge. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive, receive his commendation from God. Now, when he talks about hidden in darkness here, that, that's one that can be a little bit, you know, iffy. You know, what does that mean, right? Um, I don't think he's talking about sin here. It's, it's the motives of the heart. Again, we can't see motives, people's intentions, what they're thinking. But the Lord searches our hearts. He knows our, our intentions of what we're doing. So he's the correct judge. He says, Things now hidden in darkness will disclose the purpose of the heart. So these things will be brought to light, right? Only by God, though, because only God can, can see the heart, knows what the intention is. Again, that, that outward appearance where things look really well, there's, there's a you know, thriving ministry, so to speak, a lot of things being done um, that, that seem to be furthering God's kingdom. But if those are being driven with the wrong intentions where it's, hey, you know, we, we just want to reach a lot of people. We, we want to be out there and we want to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus, so we're going out with these massive trucks full of food and we're feeding the homeless and we're, we're going and feeding poor people and, and things like that. Um, and then we go home. Okay, great. You, you met their physical need. Did you share the gospel with them? Are you helping them understand that there is a, a deeper need? Tony and I were talking about this a little bit before the service. If you think about, we talked about this a little while back, um, when Jesus, not today, but previously, when Jesus um, was, you know, traveling around and he got off the boat and the crowds came up to him and he had compassion on them, what's the first thing he did? He started to teach them. 
he was looking to their spiritual welfare first, right? And then later in the day, it's like, okay, well, these people don't have any food, so you know he performed the miracle of feeding the four, four thousand, five thousand plus, because those are just the men, right? So it, it was in, it wasn't an either or; it was a both. So he made sure to meet their spiritual need and their physical need. And so we need to make sure that our intentions when we're ministering are to glorify God and not ourselves, right? So just going out and feeding the homeless, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're not sharing the gospel with them, we're not meeting the core need that they have. If we're not helping them recognize that they, like us, are sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ alone, then we are not doing them or God the proper service. And God knows those motives, right? Some, sometimes we may do that, and it's, you know, because we're learning, we're trying things, we're starting off, and you know, we'll stumble a little bit. But if our, our sole purpose is just to make ourselves look good or to make our ministry look good, and it's not to give God the glory, but it's to give us the glory, even though we won't say that, then we're missing it. We're not being faithful stewards and servants of the Lord and the mysteries that he has entrusted us with. I want to wrap up with one final passage. And this kind of goes to the, the idea of the motives in our works. If you would, um, turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 3. And I know Matt just talked through this a little bit ago, but um, I want to read 3, 8 through 15, and then just comment on it a little bit. So in 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 15, we see, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive the wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And I think that ties into what Paul's saying here. So he's referencing back to that. He's clarifying a little bit more here, you know, talking about the disclosing of the heart, the purposes of the heart. Each one will receive his, his commendation. You know, he, he says that as well, that there are works um, that are pure. If those works are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his message, there will be profit. 
um, that will bring glory to God, those works will survive. Those are good works. At the end, when we all, which we all will, stand before him, you know, we will be commendated on either being good and faithful servants or not so much. A lot of it depends on where did we, on what foundation did we do our works? Was the foundation on ourselves for our own glory? Or were the works on the foundation of Jesus Christ for his glory and his kingdom and his advancement? And we see here that obviously because each of us will receive a commendation and that we will receive our reward. He's talking about believers here. So this is referring to us here in the church. So as we do our work as stewards of the word that's been given to us, whether you're up here giving a message or you're in a grow group or you're in a discussion or you're speaking with a non-believer and you are witnessing to them, think back to what is the foundation you're building on. Is it a foundation to make yourself feel better, to make your ministry look good? Is it to even subconsciously bring yourself some level of glory? Or is it building the foundation of Jesus Christ, knowing that that is the solid foundation that we are to build everything on, being faithful stewards to the word that he's given us? And that when we are building on that foundation, that we are true to the word, that we're all sinners, as Paul has said, we all think we're doing better than we actually are. And we need to remember that there's only one remedy for that, one cure for that, and that's salvation through Christ alone. And as we are going out and we are ministering to people, we need to make sure that while we're doing the good works, we also need to be sharing the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father, just thank you for this morning we had come together for your word. Just pray that you would help us all to be faithful servants, faithful stewards of the mysteries revealed to us. Father, that you would just empower us through your spirit to speak boldly, to, sp to speak plainly, um, the mysteries that you've entrusted us with, that we will bring glory not to ourselves, but only to you, because only you are worthy of glory. We just want to make sure that in everything that we do, as we, we leave this place, as we speak with people, as we do ministry work, that the glory goes to you, our rightful master who is to be glorified, and that we, as slaves to Christ, just do what we're told in obedience. And Father, it's these, in his name we pray these things. Amen.